having a pet shouldn't be a privilege. And not everyone comes from the same background. Everyone doesn't have the same resources. I want to do so much for my community and it's only so much that I can do by myself. Listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome, everyone, to episode 22 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and it has been a little while since my last episode. Thank you for being here today. The last couple of months have been busy for me. One of the things I've been busy with is a very good thing, which is my volunteer work. I've mentioned before that I volunteer with an organization in Baltimore called Be More Dog, Be More Like Baltimore. And one of the things that we do is bring free wellness clinics and veterinary care to Baltimore's underserved and under-resourced communities. So all of our events had been canceled during COVID for 2020, so it was very exciting to be back in the community this spring. Our events were slightly scaled down in the spring compared to what we usually offer, but we're very hopeful that we'll be able to offer all of the services in the fall. And this fall is actually a very exciting date because it will mark 10 years since our very first Be More Dog Wellness Clinic. And it's been an amazing experience to be part of this since its inception 10 years ago. And to see that people, no matter where they live and no matter what their income level is, they all love their pets. And I've just become super passionate about being able to bring resources to communities that need it. About three years ago, our Be More Dog Wellness Clinics started partnering with the Maryland SPCA here in Baltimore, Maryland, and we've really been able to expand some of the services and some of the staffing for our clinics so that we can serve more dogs. It's not uncommon for us to serve 150 dogs in one afternoon in one community. And one of the other benefits of doing this volunteer work that you may or may not expect is that I get to meet really awesome people who are also passionate about the same things that I am and who are passionate about their dogs and who are passionate about wanting to help the community. And so we're going to talk to some of those people today. I first met Mark Wolf when he was working for the SPCA as their outreach coordinator and their spay and neuter coordinator. And a few months ago, I saw that Mark announced he was helping his friend Jasmine start a rescue here in Baltimore. So I'm extremely pleased for you to meet Jasmine Jr. and Mark Wolf in our interview today. We cover so many important topics from mental health care in the veterinary and animal welfare worlds to what it's like working in a vet clinic during COVID. We talk about the behind the scenes to starting your own rescue organization and what it's like fostering animals and finding them new homes. Jasmine and Mark are super passionate about their desire to help 
the pets of Baltimore and the community of Baltimore. And I think that that passion and enthusiasm will really come through in our interview today. So I'm so excited for you to meet Jasmine Jr., the founder and president of Round of Appalls Rescue, and Mark Wolf, the vice president of Round of Appalls Rescue. So let's get started with Jasmine and Mark. So we are here today with Jasmine Jr. and Mark Wolf from Round of Appalls Rescue. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, Mark. Hi, how are you? Hello. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. I know you guys are are just starting a new rescue here in Baltimore, Maryland. And I really want to get your stories, though, and your background and what led you to want to do this. So, Jasmine, do you want to start and just tell us, did you grow up with animals? Have you always been an animal girl? What's your story? So, since I was little, I'm going to go back to at least five years old, I've been obsessed with animals, especially dogs. I always had like an encyclopedia about dogs and learning about different dog breeds. And you can even ask my parents, since I was about five, they would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I've always said I wanted to be a veterinarian. I did have dogs growing up. When I was little, I grew up around German Shepherds and Rottweilers. I had a Pomeranian. His name was Jake. He was my baby. And I also had a miniature pincher um, named Mimi, and she was also my baby. (laughs) And did you grow up here in Baltimore? Yes, I did. I did. Um, Born and raised in Baltimore. Awesome. And so I know you have a career that has taken you in the path of animals. Is that right? Yes. My very first job actually was working at an animal hospital, um, Erdman Animal Hospital in Baltimore. So thankfully, they hired me with no experience. I just went in there with a passion and love for animals, and they hired me on the spot. And since then, I've been working in the vet field for about nine years now. And it's been a journey, and it's been an experience, and I would not trade it for the world. Oh, I love it. So, Mark, tell me about you. Did you grow up here in Baltimore first? So, I grew up here in Baltimore. My first job was actually at a communications firm when I was 13. Uh, By the time I was, like, 18, we had took on a project for the Humane Society of the United States. And we created the Pets for Life Toolkit. Oh, I didn't really. Okay. So, we had Annie from Charm City Companions on, I think it was episode six of the podcast. So, you worked with her then. Yes. I didn't realize you guys went back that far. That's amazing. Yeah. So, we worked together on that project and I did a lot of the data input and, you know, creating the tables and everything. And then... Uh, Annie started Charm City Companions. I was volunteering with her and like doing transports, outreach in the community. Uh, The Maryland SPCA had a job open for the outreach coordinator position. So I jumped on it. They hired me. uh, And that's when I began like spaying and neutering thousands of animals every year throughout the city. And that is how I met you because Maryland SPCA started partnering with Be More Dog at our Mm -hmm. wellness clinics. And so you would come out and man the table for spay neuter. And then since then, you've been coming back as a volunteer with Charm City and with Finding Knox. And and Mark is famous in Be More Dog circles because (laughs) he can chase down dogs that get loose. We have seen him hurdle fences, run into traffic. Don't run from me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you are are absolutely famous at all of our clinics, just so you know. (laughs) It's an honor. And so did you have pets when you were growing up? So I didn't, but my grandmother always had dogs. She was a big dog lover. But after she passed away, I moved in with my mother, and that's when I got my first puppy. His name was Samson. He was a pit bull. Um, At that time, I know there was a big, like, controversy about pit bulls in Baltimore City. So... 
I went against, you know, the law, and I was like, look, I want a pit bull. I fell in love with him. He had green eyes. He just fit right in the palm of my hand when Aww. I got him. So, uh, and actually, he was a friend of mine's puppy. So I got him from a friend, made sure that, you know, he got all his shots and food. He was so healthy and sweet. But I ended up giving him away to a friend of mine after, like, you know, he got too big and the landlord found out. So, yeah. So that must have been during the time of what we call the pit bull ruling. So it wasn't that pit bulls weren't allowed in Baltimore City, but there were some issues statewide with landlord and liability issues. And Be More Dog was actually involved in some of the lobbying efforts to try to get that changed. Thank you for being willing to share that with us, Mark. And so I know you were working for the SPCA for a while, and now is all your animal work volunteer? Yes, yes. I can, like, I see your passion for the work that we do. And can you tell us why it's so important to you? Yes, because growing up in Baltimore City, like, we didn't have a lot of animal shelters come out and talk to us at the school when I was growing up, at least. So I felt like it was something that needed to be passed along to future generations, especially like our generation. It's just like how to take care of a pet, what services they need, what to look out for. That type of information needed to be out there because everyone just jumps on social media, asks questions. And I'm like, look, we're right here. Like, we'll answer all the questions that you need. Just feel free to call in, come see us. But we had to enlighten the whole demographic. Yeah, I think... There's like a ton of resources that are available, but people don't always know. Like the people who need the resources don't always know. And right. so like with Be More Dog, that was why it was so important to us to have our events in the community. Like it's great if you want to have something at a shelter, but not everybody knows where it is. Not everybody can get to the shelter. So I guess that's why it was always so important to us to like, we want to be right in the park down the street where you see us and can can get, you know, the help that you need. Exactly. And for me, it was doing the outreach. So like now I'm in my 17th year of community outreach since uh, I've been doing this since I was 13 years old. I remember my first project was like Kennedy Krieger. Yeah. And uh, now like I'm just helping animals, making sure they get the services they need, volunteering with jazz. So Mark, I know you had mentioned to me when we were off mic that you had also done work around environmental protection and how that interplays with our pets. So can you tell me more about that? Of course. Uh, So going out into the community, I had to enlighten the community on like the pollution levels. And every neighborhood has a water well that sits right under the neighborhood. So if folks aren't picking up dog waste, for instance, it's just going to get rained into the water well. So we had to enlighten the folks that, hey, this is a third of the pollution that is in the water in Baltimore City and Maryland altogether. That's the reason why it's brown and polluted like that and it stinks is because folks aren't picking up dog waste. And with that, like other dogs can walk by, they can get sick from it like e coli and roundworm and so it's it's a trickle down effect that plays on that is the big reason why we need to you know enlighten the public and dehumane it like yes pick up your poop because i had to go into like pet stores i had to go into local businesses i had to do door-to-door outreach all to enlighten everyone like hey this is the reason why everyone's getting sick or there's 
pollution in our neighborhood. The water is tinted. Like this is the stuff that we have to, you know, change about us. I just found that so completely fascinating because I can tell you just walking our dogs around our neighborhood, my husband and I are just completely shocked every day at how much dog poop there is everywhere. And you're actually saying there's statistics that can back it up, like how much of a problem this is. And I just thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, it's in the city, it's in the county, it's everywhere. And I mean, we were leaving like, you know, little poster boards in folks' yards that say like, hey, pick up your dog waste. And we had to pull the statistics up the numbers for each individual neighborhood and say, this is where, you know, you are, and this is healthy water conditions for this neighborhood. So every neighborhood had a different level. So I didn't have to do as much work in some neighborhoods and some neighborhoods I had to put in extra work. (laughs) I thought that was really fascinating. And I see you on Facebook doing some other like non-animal related (laughs) outreach also too, right? Yeah. I'm big on feeding the homeless too. That was a big part of like my upbringing was always giving back to the community and realizing that everyone comes from the same background. Everyone doesn't have the same resources, financial stability. So when you find folks that aren't in the same, you know, uh, category or have the same resources as you, you have to share those with those guys. Because, I mean, I've met some pretty awesome people that live in a tent under the bridge. Right. And, I mean, they're really smart. They're really, like, great people. But so many people just walk by them. They don't have the same opportunities. And, yeah, so it's best to give back to those guys food, uh, clothing, just just a friendship in general. So that just makes my heart happy. <laughs> you know, we've been doing the Be More Dog clinics for 10 years this year. I mean, minus the whole COVID situation, but right. <laughs> and um and I think we're coming up on like 3500 dogs that have been through Ooh. the clinics. Ooh. And I mean, it's literally like the best thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Like I can't I couldn't imagine us not doing it. And you don't always know what people are up against you have a heart for it and you want to have empathy but like you don't always like know yeah so i guess one of the things that's been such an eye-opening experience for me because it's because i didn't know what to expect is seeing i call it like informal rescue but like how many times there's people who are just in the neighborhood that wake up one morning and find like a dog tied up in their backyard or their neighbor is moving and can't take their dog with them or you know there's some kind of criminal justice situation and there's a dog left you know and there's just these amazing people who don't have a whole organization, a 501c3, a shelter, a budget, and they're just like taking in animals because it's the right thing to do. Right. I guess that's one of the things I always, I do want to like talk about in the podcast is that this is going on. I don't know if people know this because I didn't know it until I started seeing it. And I didn't start seeing it until I started being in the community. And that was one of the main reasons I got into rescue, because before I officially started Round of Applause, I was doing everything individually on my own. I would have people come up to me like, hey, Jasmine, I can't have this pet anymore. Can you help me rehome it? Or there'll be um, stray kittens that someone found or someone just it's always word of mouth. Someone coming to me saying I have this dog, but I cannot take care of it. Can you help me? So that's a major reason I got into it, because a lot of people don't have those resources right also also a lot of people don't know like there's so many resources out there but a lot of people just aren't educated on it so 
me growing up in Baltimore and when I reach out to people, when I talk to people, they're always like, oh, I, I never knew that. And I'm like, yeah, there's so many things out there to help you, but just they're just not reaching out to the correct demographic, right. really. So these people have all these resources, but they don't know about them. Right. So that's another big thing I'm really, I want to get into is educating everybody and let, you, let them know, hey, there's people here to help you. We want to help you. We want to extend a hand to help you. It's just, you know, getting out there. Yes. To talk about it. <laughs> yes, I love it. So you guys are starting Round of Applause, which, oh my God, I love the name. <laughs> my nephews actually came up with the name. <laughs> oh, that's great. And so now you said you've been doing this work kind of informally for a few years. What was what made you finally decide, okay, I need to get get it together and make this like an official thing? It's something I've been thinking about for a year before I actually made it official. I was trying to plan out how exactly to do it. And one major thing that was stopping me was the cost. But since I was doing it for so long, it just kind of snapped in my head like, hey, I need to make this official to really get out there to help people. So you can get the fundraising and yes. have like programs. Exactly. And, yeah. So I can get the funding to actually do more because I want to do so much for my community. And it's only so much that I can do by myself. Right. And so, so most of the rescues that I've seen, they have foster homes, so they don't have a facility or anything. So, you know, that you recruit volunteers to foster animals until you can find homes for them. And you're, they're usually pulling dogs that are like come in through the animal shelter system. So is that your model or what is your, do you have like a model or a plan for how it'll work? So right now, everything is going to be 100% volunteer and foster-based. Um, I do not plan on having a shelter. Maybe one day in the future, I can look more into that. But right now, everything will be foster-based. And so are you pulling animals out of the animal shelter? Or are you taking owner surrenders or how? Right now, there are owner surrenders and strays, like stray kittens. We will start planning to pull from shelters, hopefully within the next month. But right now, everything is just stray and owner surrenders. And that's just more so so I can build up a team to get more volunteers and fosters. Right. Yeah, I was curious how that... I just saw something about there's an, a rescue organization here in Maryland called Dogs XL that takes some of the larger dogs uh, out of the shelter system. And they've pulled like 3,000 dogs over the last 10 years. And they basically said, we're burned out, we're tired, and we're going to shut down the rescue for a while. And I know another organization here in, in Baltimore that was called Bella's Bully Buddies, which was like a big rescue partner. I know they shut down recently too after about 10 years do you ever get concerned about burnout or how do you take care of yourself when you're running a rescue I right now I'm not really concerned about burnout I'm still young I was gonna <laughs> say you're young. I'm still young so I still have a ton of energy to do this I'm not really concerned about burnout I always try to make sure I take time to myself and for my mental health because it can be incredibly draining so Sundays are usually my days to relax, to meditate, to clean the house, put some incense on and some candles and just trying to take care of myself and my mental health. Well, thank you for um, spending it with me. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you having me here. But no, it's very important because like I was up for 10 hours with kittens one night and trying to make sure that they survived the night. Unfortunately, two of them didn't make it, but things like that can be, can weigh heavily 
yeah. on you. And I still have things from when I very first started working in the veterinary field that weigh heavily on me. So it's very important to take days aside for yourself and your mental health. But at this time, I'm not really concerned too much about burning out. I think I still have a very long journey ahead of me. Can I touch on that? Absolutely. Um, well, working in the animal field, I know that it is like really, uh, how can I put this? It's just really mentally, like it takes a mental toll on you a lot. You understand? It's a lot of stuff that goes on behind closed doors that we never talk about to the public. You know, like losing animals on the table, the operating table, they don't make it. Or we have to be the ones that relay that information to the owner. You know, so it's some stuff that we just don't talk about, but it mentally like takes a toll on our I well-being. can imagine, yeah. So, you know, like I try to reach out to Jazz and check on her to make sure she's doing okay because I know she's still in a field. I've stepped away from the animal welfare field, but I know like working in that field is mentally draining, and I know like a third of the country is depressed with everything that's going on. So I try to make sure my friends that are still in the industry are doing well, taking care of themselves. Like, and just sometimes just checking up on just the loved one is all I need. So. And I just want to say that I appreciate everyone out there that works in the veterinary field. It's been especially difficult with COVID. And I'm there with you guys and I appreciate you guys. And thank you so much for what you do. I was actually going to ask you about that. What has... So you work at a vet office here in Baltimore. What has it looked like for you during COVID? Oh my gosh. It's been, it's, it's been a journey. (laughs) It's been a lot. Um, Because of COVID, a lot of offices have been overwhelmed because we've had to cut hours, cut staff, and just cut the amount of time that we can spend with people. A lot of offices started doing only curbside. We just recently started bringing people inside again. After like a year. After more than a year, yeah. Um, Just recently, within the past like two weeks, started bringing people inside again. And it's been a lot because you have people who want to be seen, and we want to see them, for these urgent issues, but we just don't have the staff to see them. So then we have people who are upset, which is which is fine because I completely understand you want your pet to be to be healthy and be okay. But it's just unfortunate because we don't have the people, the staff, the hours to see everyone like we'd like to. And I know it's been especially difficult for the pet ER who are severely understaffed, severely overworked. And my heart goes out to them because I, I know for people who work at the Petty Art, and it's been especially difficult for them because since I work at a, a regular veterinary hospital, an RDVM, since we can't see them for even immediately for like minor issues like ear infections and things like that, they'll go to the Petty Art where it should be for emergencies, but it's been turning to like regular doctor care, the right. Petty Art. So it's, they've been getting slammed as well. It's just, it's just been a lot going on behind the scenes so and so my understanding is that the reason things are so understaffed is because of covid they can't have they're trying to like keep like social distancing exactly. and keep like the amount of people that are all together down is that right yes that's exactly what's going on they're trying to make sure everyone owners and staff stay safe so it's just been very very difficult 
And so with you now being able to see more patients actually in the office again, are you able to increase your staffing levels or are they still keeping those down? They're still trying to keep them down. Yeah, and they're still trying to keep them down, not trying to put too many people in one in one area. Because, I mean, sometimes you're all Yeah, sometimes we're all quarters. very close together and restraining in surgery. So it's very hard to be able to schedule around around that. And also a lot of people have gotten drained out this year. So a lot of hospitals have lost a lot of staff because a lot of people have been overworked because it's just been a lot. You know, I've had times myself where I wanted to take her in, like you have to sit there in the car and you're mm-hmm. like, what are they doing to my baby? You know. <laughs> and I've gone to the ER myself with my own pets and it's stressful because, you know, you want to make sure your baby's fine and you're watching someone, some random person take them inside right. and you're outside, at least me, outside crying and emotional mess, trying to figure out what's going on. But you just have to trust that they're doing everything that's best and as fast and efficiently as possible. It's just, it's been a lot. I can imagine. I can imagine. And so you told me you actually work two jobs. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you said two jobs, four dogs. I I work two jobs. Um, I have four dogs. One of them is a foster. His name is Dobby. He is a Merle Pitbull. And he is the sweetest, lovable hunk. (laughs) Um, I have a mama cat who is about seven months. She's a baby herself. Um, And she has her three newborn kittens. And then I have two little five-week-old kittens that just came in two days ago. Oh, wow. So my house is full. <laughs> it sounds like it. So with Dobby, so first of all, he's deaf. Is that right? Yes, he is mostly deaf. He can, I've learned, he can hear very loud noises. So if you clap, if you drop something that's really loud, he can hear that. But if you're talking to him, he can't really hear that. With like commands mm-hmm. or something, right? But he has, I have taught him hand commands. So that's how we communicate. So he knows how to sit, how to wait, lay down, go to his bed. He He's smart. Right. <laughs> he's smart. I actually had an episode of the podcast where we had the founder of the Deaf Dogs Rock Rescue on, where we talked about some of that. And, and it's amazing to me what they can learn and how... It's not that much different than, you know, working with a hearing dog. So, for instance, with Dobby, like, how did he make his way to you and become your foster dog? So, let me go back to the beginning. I was on Facebook, and there was a lady in a group who was rehoming him. So, I reached out to her, and I was like, hey, can I get more information on Dobby? And she told me, yeah, he's deaf, and I've been trying to rehome him, but since he's deaf, a lot of people turn him away and don't really aren't really interested in him so um the day I actually went to go meet him animal control went to our house and took him and his brother and his brother name was tank and he wound up going to barks he came with severe severe separation anxiety i couldn't if i was in a room with him and he couldn't physically see me he would start screaming so i could be in the same room but if i went behind a door like into my closet and he couldn't see me he just it's like a switch just went off in his head. So he's been with me since then. He's doing amazingly. He's crate trained. He's house trained. He knows commands. He's done. He's such an amazing dog. He's an amazing dog. Like he would be an amazing home for anyone. It's just in my household with the dynamic of things in my pets, my little chihuahuas don't like him too much. <laughs> and they run the house. It's always, the, it's always the little ones. Always the little ones. So I have um, two chihuahuas and my other pit bull. And my pit bull and him love each other. It's just the little ones who 
aren't a fan of him. <laughs> and so what about the, the cat and the kittens? Like, how did they... So years ago, I can remember I was at this meeting with someone who ran a rescue here in Baltimore. And like every time that we saw her, she would like be getting these urgent calls of like, oh my God, somebody just found a dog. Oh my God, there's a situation. Can you help? What can I do? And so I'm like wondering, like, is that what your life is like? Are you getting these calls? Like how, how do these animals? Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that is exactly what happens. Um, for example, for the two kittens I got, my friend, I was laying at home relaxing after work and I just got an urgent call like hey um there are two kittens under my porch what do I do and I was like I'll be right there <laughs> and with mom and kittens the other ones again there was someone on Facebook and I got to her house to get mom and kittens and then she called me like 1 30 that morning like hey I found another kitten oh. so I had to run back to her house and she lives on the completely opposite side of town so it was like a 30 minute drive to go pick up the kittens and come back to my house. Oh wow. So yeah, it's usually just <laughs> random people reaching out to me and random calls that I get. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> so any time of the day, I'm usually getting a call. <laughs> so before you started your own rescue, had you fostered or been involved with like other rescue organizations? Yeah, so I used to volunteer for um, Canine Couture Pet Rescue before they shut down. Um, so I did a lot of fostering with them, a lot of volunteering. I remember one day we had at least 20 puppies come in, 20 puppies. And it was late at night, probably like around 11 or 12. And we all were there, <laughs> vaccinated them, uh, gave them baths, dewormed them. And then I took home a puppy. His name was Louie. And one of my friends actually wound up adopting him. So I get to see updates on him all the time. Aww. So I did uh, volunteer with them a lot. I also worked with Mark at the SBCA. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. I did work with Mark at the SBCA at the wellness clinic. And I also have worked at Baltimore County Animal Services doing that TNR program. Oh, okay. I was actually volunteering with FRA, Feline Rescue Association, when I found Penny. <laughs> <laughs> she's a sweet girl. Yeah, she's asleep here next to us <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> so once you take a foster dog into your rescue how do you end up finding homes is it like word of mouth are you using social media do you have events did covid impact your idea for having events so covid didn't really impact the events because actually the fundraiser we're having is going to be our first fundraiser so thankfully things are reopening people are vaccinated only thing that's really going to impact it, I think, is cicadas. <laughs> but as far as adoptions, most of it's word of mouth. Just like with the strays and animal surrenders I get in, um, most of it's word of mouth right now. I do post on social media a lot, but usually before I start reaching out to the public, it's more so my friends who want to adopt, like people I know or people like my friends, their friends. So Usually before I even get to the place where I can like post to the public, they usually already have a home lined up to go. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> so one of my questions is about when you want to find a home for an animal, sometimes you'll have people that want to, they want to rescue an animal because they want to feel like they're doing like the right thing. Mm -hmm. And then like a potential adopter will feel like there's like a lot of hoops that they have to jump through right? Like they have to provide references. And so sometimes they have to do like a home visit. And from the rescues 
point of view it's like well we want to make sure you know we've invested a lot of time animal emotional you know stuff into this animal we want to make sure they're going to the right place but sometimes for people especially people who maybe this is their first time trying to adopt they feel like it's invasive or yeah. you know we have to let somebody like in my house or you know i could just go buy an mm-hmm. animal and not have to do this anyway i'm always curious to see have you had people who feel like oh this is too much or I've never had anyone who felt like it was too much. Um, Most people I do for the process, it is a home visit. Um, I do call three references. I also call veterinary references and I do a background check. (laughs) That is thorough. But I've never had anyone say it was too invasive because they all know that I'm just trying to make sure this pet is going to a home they're going to be with forever. And we don't want them to go through the stress of having to be bounced house to house, going back to a shelter, going back to a rescue. We want to make sure that wherever they go, this is going to be there in forever life. So I haven't, unfortunately, haven't had anyone say it was too invasive because my adoption process is a little lengthy, but it's all in the best entrance of the pets. Right, right. You know, I know it's much easier just to go out and just buy a pet. It's so much easier just, you know, go to anywhere and go to a breeder and just say, hey, I want this dog. I have this money today. I, I want to buy it. But when you think about it, a lot of those people don't go um, to these stores doing research right. or going to breeders they don't do any research they don't really know what they're getting into and with the rescues you want to make sure that you know exactly what's going to happen when you take home this pet we want to make sure you are prepared for anything for any medical expenses for any vaccines for anything that can happen that you wouldn't get from a breeder or get from going to a puppy mill or a pet store. So we're trying to make sure that everyone is educated, that people are aware of what the responsibility that's coming with taking home a life. That's what you're doing, you're taking home a life. And a lot of people don't see it like that. They see it as, I want this dog, why can't I have this dog? Right. <laughs> so we're trying to make sure everyone is prepared and educated. You know, I hear people say sometimes, like that they are hesitant to like adopt from a shelter or a rescue because you know you never know what you're going to get that's a dog or a pet that somebody else didn't want and i guess i feel like there's no guarantees no matter where you get your animal from you know because like you said you don't know if this is coming from a puppy mill or what the breeding history was and the people who are doing the quote unquote responsible breeding, they're not just going to sell it to somebody that they meet on the street or, you know, <laughs> like, so I always think that adopting from a rescue is actually kind of your best bet, especially if it's like a foster home, because this is somebody that has been living with this dog and knows, knows this dog mm-hmm. and you get like the kind of the best, um, information, you know, about the, the pet's personality. And-, and also a lot of rescues, um, like myself, we work with trainers. So if you adopt a pet, also know Barks as, as well. Like if you adopt a pet from us or adopt a pet from Barks, you can meet with one of their trainers if you have any issues. So we, I always encourage everyone that adopts to talk to a trainer, talk to a veterinarian, just so you know, Like if you're having issues with house training or crate training, we want to be able to provide resources and help you work through those things. 
sometimes when there's an adoption fee or something, you're putting so much into the veterinary care of this animal, Mm -hmm. any like training. I know there's a rescue here in Baltimore, and this is an outdated number, but I know like a couple years back, they had $60,000 in veterinary bills for one year for the animals in their rescue. And that blew my mind (laughs) of what all the rescue, the expenses the rescue is taking on. Yes. So before I even officially started the rescue this year, I started the process in January 2020. Everything came out of my own pocket. So my bill at my job right now is probably close to about 6000 Wow. And that's honestly... You're just working to pay I'm just working bill. to pay my vet bill. <laughs> and again, that's everything out of my own pocket. That's before I started asking for funding, before I started asking for donations. And people will ask me, Jasmine, why are you charging for these pets that you someone just gave to you or that you're rescuing i'm like because if you saw what happens behind the scenes and that's just the medical portion that's not including food it's not including supplies cat litter dog food dog treats it's a lot that goes into it because these pets are also living with me personally before they go out the door so i can make sure that these pets are also trained because i don't like i try as much as possible to make sure that they are ready for a home before they leave But it's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. So the adoption fee doesn't even take a quarter away of the money that went into this one pet that we're sending out the door. You are really putting your money where your mouth is. I mean, literally. (laughs) And now you see why I have to check in on her and make sure she's okay because it's mentally overwhelming everything that she takes on, like starting a nonprofit, fostering, being there for the community. Like, this industry takes a lot on you, so you have to make sure you take care of yourself. Mental health is a big thing in this industry. And so what are your, like, if you could just, like, wave a magic wand and have all the programs in place that you want, what would that look like for you? Ooh, I am so excited for this. (laughs) (laughs) So my, not even my main thing, I want to start a low-cost, free mobile vaccine clinic. I've been researching the different vans to get the different trucks to do. I've also been speaking with veterinarians who are on board to volunteer, um, also different uh, technicians who are on board to volunteer. Partnering, coupling with that, I've been looking into doing a low-cost mobile spay and neuter clinic as well. Um, along with that, I really want to open up pet stores in underserved communities. There are no pet stores in the city. It's a resource desert. It is a resource desert. It's very, very difficult living in Baltimore with no pet stores because these people in these underserved communities are now going to Family Dollar, Walmart, and buying these the cheapest cheapest food, and they don't have access to getting the better quality stuff. So working in the vet field, I've seen a lot of the issues that come up are because people don't have access to the resources. So we have pets coming in, cats coming in that are blocked because of the type of food that they're on. I've seen cats and dogs have seizures because they were giving a flea medication, a flea treatment that is very harmful to them. I've seen pets die from this. So I want to be able to make sure that people have access to these things. So I want to put pet stores in like the Park Heights area, Erdman area, just sprinkled around the city because we don't have access to these things i couldn't agree with you more and i've i've been thinking about this for at least since i was working at erdman 
honestly, um, at least seven, eight years thinking about we need resources. We don't have access to these. If I want to, where I live, go to a pet store, I live by Lake Clifton, my options are, because Pet Value Clothes, going to PetSmart in Canton, PetSmart in Towson, there's the Petco on York Road, and then there's um, Howe, which is in Hamden. And none of these none are of closed. These are close. So if I didn't have a car, I would just be out of luck. Thankfully, I have a car and I can drive to them. So they're about 20-minute drive, 15, 20-minute drive. But we need to have access, give everyone access, because having a pet shouldn't be a privilege. And so many people have them. You know, I mean, it's not like there's not pets. Exactly. You know? <laughs> but I mean, there's even... Food, you know, they call it like food desert, yeah. you know, I mean, there's not even a lot of like grocery stores. No, in, it's in the same. The it's the same thing. There's not a lot of grocery stores either. You have to drive and travel to get to a grocery store. So the same as having a food desert, they are pet store deserts. Baltimore City does not have a lot of pet stores. And, even, and veterinary, veterinary mm-hmm. wise also. Exactly. Same thing. So if people just had more access to things, I could, I can hopefully see more healthy pets out there that's all I really want is people to be educated and have access to better and things for their pets and I mean there's just so many benefits to having pets and just you know so when I got a pet I had just been through like when we had our first dog um I'm gonna drop a little bit of an emotional bomb on you here so I'm just giving you a little warning but um my stepson had been killed in a car accident right before my husband and I ended up adopting our first dog. And so he was five years old. Him and his mom were both killed in this car accident. I'm so sorry. And so that was like pretty much the worst thing I've ever been through in my life. And getting Lucy, who was our first dog, our brindle girl. I mean, like, I feel like it saved my life in a lot of ways, you know, and she was a reason for me to get out of bed when it was a hard day. And I mean, I was still getting up and going to work every day and stuff, but I just wasn't the same person that I had been before that happened. And so that's pretty much like the biggest like trauma that I've been through. And I think of the trauma that kids in Baltimore are seeing every day, just trying to get to school or, you know, just trying to walk down the street. And to be able to come home and have, you know, the unconditional love of a pet could literally be life-saving, you know, for for people and emotionally and mentally. And so I feel like the more pets that that we have is a good thing. And we want people to be able to take care of them. And just seeing the people that we have at the Be More Dog Clinics, I mean, it just makes your heart smile. You can see how bonded they are. And they'll tell you, like, I've had him for 12 years, or, you know, and you get to hear people's stories. And so, yeah, I'm God, I'm so on board for wanting to support all of these plans of yours. (laughs) I appreciate it. And I completely understand, like, pets, having pets give you purpose. So I went through the same thing. I was severely depressed for years, but having my pet there, and I'm like, I have to get up. I have to take care of her. I have to do this because she is depending on me and she gives unconditional love like if i'm ever feeling sad like i just know that no matter how i feel about myself and how i think about myself they're always going to see me as the most amazing person in the world (laughs) so even if i don't see myself like that i'm like they do so it doesn't matter you have to live how your pets see you I feel like it takes like a really special person to to be involved in rescue much less to start a rescue and so 
Yeah, you are an amazing person. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about fostering an animal, which is providing a temporary home for them on their way to finding their forever home. Is that hard for you to do? I know some people who love being part of the animal's journey to finding the forever home, and I know other people who worry that it would be too hard to give the animal up after you've already gotten attached. Talk to me about this. It's always incredibly difficult to let a pet go because you get so attached to them, like you're seeing them flourish from how they first came to you. A lot of them are really nervous, really scared. A lot of them are shut down. And then you see them grow and flourish into being an amazing pet. And then you have to let someone else take care of your baby, pretty much. It's like you're giving up your baby, but you know it's for the best for them. And, you know, with my fosters, I cry every time they leave. Because I like I take them and I love them like my own. But, you know, like it's time for them to be able to to fly. To fly. <laughs> but no, I cry like a baby every time my fosters leave. But, you know, it's it's a good cry. It's a good feeling. And so are you recruiting other people to foster for you? Absolutely. I am in need of fosters specifically at this time for kittens because kitten season is it's in full effect right now. <laughs> like I said, I have Mama Cat, the three kittens, and then the two I just got in. And I know there will be lots more. Tell us about kitten season if people aren't familiar with that term. So pretty much kitten season is any time when the weather is feeling great. It's getting warm outside and the cats outside know it's feeling great. So they're going to pop out lots of babies. And with lots of babies come a lot of stray animals. So we try to not only get these outdoor cats spayed and neutered to prevent this from happening in the future, but, you know, things still happen. So there's lots of kittens being being made outside right now. <laughs> I know, like, for dogs, it's usually about, like, 60 to 65 days is, like, the length of their pregnancy. Mm -hmm. What is it for cats? I don't even know. <laughs> Let me look it up. I've actually forgotten. 58 to 67 days. Okay, that's about the same. Yeah, about the same. So yeah, as soon as that weather starts getting nice. Dogs typically have about one or two heats a year. Um, cats, they can have a go into heat back to back to back to back to back. I did not know that. So, okay, I feel like I'm jumping a little all over the place here. You guys have now both worked in the shelter world. So we have so many animals that need homes. And yeah, do you guys, from having worked in the shelter, what are your thoughts on kind of like how do we... Find, is it do we need to find more homes is are there just too many animals do we need to do more spay and neuter like do you have thoughts on the idea of animal overpopulation and, and how do we we start to fix this it's kind of a mixture of everything so it goes down to a lot of people not just being educated on it i feel like if we just could get the word out and start educating more people we can get more pets staying in their homes and get a more pets spayed and neutered because even now one of my friends, I was like, hey, are you getting your dog spayed? Because you know it can lead to pyometra, she can get this. And he was like, wait, what? Like, she can get, I'm like, yeah, all this can happen if she's not spayed. Like, I know you're not planning on breeding her, so getting her fixed would be a good idea. And people, especially in the inner cities, have no idea about these things. So it's more so just education, because if they can learn about it, then they can work with us to start preventing it. And also having the lack of resources, which is why I wanted to start doing the free and low cost clinics. I don't want it to just be a clinic. People have to come to you. I want us to be able to go. That's why I want to be mobile right. for us to go to them because a lot of people don't have the resources to go 
someplace. So education and resources is really the two biggest things. And having the behavioral issues can easily cause a pet to be sent to a shelter or rescue as well. So that's why I want to also work with trainers to offer low-cost services to be able to help people keep pets in homes. Yeah, that's definitely definitely a need. Yeah. So I want to piggyback off of that and just say that it's big on the education part, which is why I think we should be more involved in school systems and just like talking to kids about, you know, uh, humane education and the different ways to take care of a pet, what the signs are to look for, you know, what these symptoms mean and what is spay and neuter. I went into so many classrooms and well, one, they couldn't pronounce spay or neuter. But two, it was also like, well, what is that? And, you know, you have to break that down for the kids. And, you know, well, first we have to get permission to talk about it. Yeah. But yeah, and that comes big on the animal shelters and animal rescues, which is why I think that's going to be a big part of our goal this upcoming year is to partner with more local animal rescues and shelters and try to figure out a way that we can work together to get into the classrooms and just educate the public. And it's just, you know, just bad ideas out there. And we just want to show people the right way, the healthy way and the safe way to take care of the pets. So going into that, I just want to say, like, because there aren't as many resources, you got to think about when you're in the community, we have to, like, fend for ourselves. You know, we can't go to the veterinarian. We don't have one close by. We can't afford it. So now we're coming up with these home remedies to like say, okay, well, you know, Don Soap cleared my dog of fleas. And it's like, yeah, but it can also dry his skin out and cause skin dermatitis. So it's like a lot of goes into that, you know, and because they're not educated, it's like it's causing these other illnesses to take place as well. And like there's not a lot of grassland in the city as well. So people aren't exercising their dogs and now there's other ailments like arthritis taking place and an overweight yeah and and folks don't realize like animals can get the same you know ailments that we get as well so yeah all the all of it really boils down to is just getting out there and to get the information out there and i've heard some off the wall things you would never imagine that people would think but People do. (laughs) People think these things. And we just want to make sure people are getting the right information. Okay, I'm jumping around a little bit again, but I wanted to touch on something. I know that you've mentioned that you have friends who have dogs and other people that come to you asking questions. And I was talking to somebody recently and she's somebody who's a dog mom and has like a a business around, you know, being like a trainer and, and being a dog mom. But I didn't I feel very fortunate because in Baltimore and through Be More Dog, I have all these friends who are like other crazy dog people. And I was realizing that I guess not everybody has that because this girl was sharing how like her friends just don't understand like why she spends so much money on her dog food or why she, you know, spends so much time with her dog or doing training and stuff. And so I was just curious about you guys with friends and family support. Jasmine's laughing already. Um, do you get a lot of support or, or do you have other crazy dog friends or are you the crazy dog friend? <laughs> I am the crazy dog friend. I am the crazy animal friend. Um, <laughs> all the time. People are like, I can't believe you're doing this because I would have never put this much money into my pets. So, um, for example, my little Chihuahua Pepper, 
she has given me a run for my money, literally. There was a time where she had jumped out of a SUV. She's a three pound chihuahua, by the way. Wow. I was currently at work and my mom came busting through the door because her leg was like this. Oh my God. Um, my mom was crying and I'm like, what happened? She's like, she jumped out the car. It's like, your SUV? She's three pounds. So she had a grade four luxating patella, meaning her kneecap would not stay in place. It popped out. It would not go back in. She also ruptured a cruciate and my mom she mentioned to me and she was like well at least it's not broken it's like i wish it was that would have been cheaper <laughs> it would have been much cheaper it would be cheaper cheaper for me to just amputate it um and everyone thought i was crazy for putting out all this money to get her surgeries done and then her rehabilitation i went out for a lot of money but you know these are i don't have children these are my babies so i have to take care of them like they are my babies <laughs> And everyone thought I was insane for how much money that went into her recovery. And just in general, it just goes into my pets. Because again, people were just like, these are just animals. But to me, they're family. And that's something I want to touch on too. Because like, for me, I am like the crazy animal lover of my friends, family. Everyone, you know, sees an animal. They're like, look, Mark, there's a loose dog. Go get it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm eating. <laughs> <laughs> But also, I mean, like, that was something I had to learn, too, from doing so much outreach and learning more about the community is that a lot of people actually do consider their pets family. You know, like, they don't have a strong family base and not in communication as much with their family as others are. So for them, like, like you said, that love that animals have for us, like, you won't be able to find that anywhere else. So... For some, this is it. You know, coming home, I know my dog is going to greet me. I don't get love like that any other time. Work is hectic. I don't have any friends. I don't have a lover, no social life. So for some folks, this is it. And I mean, like, that's beautiful, honestly, that they put that much effort and energy into an animal. Because that also shows, like, what type of person they are in reality, that they had that much love in their heart. Yeah, I agree. I guess I was hoping, I mean, I was telling the girl that I hope my podcast is a place where we're all your crazy dog friends, you know, yeah. like we're all the people who get it. <laughs> I am just so excited. Like, I hope that everybody listening can feel the passion that you guys have because I see it. I feel it. Like, I'm so excited for you, you. and for, for where the future's going to I'm take I'm excited you. too. I hope I am praying hard. I am working hard. I just want all of us to come into fruition manifesting everything yeah. uh, put it out in the universe and so i know you have an event coming up your big kickoff event yes i'll be having our first fundraiser it's going to be held at the village vet 1620 Selgrave avenue we're going to have food music drinks there's going to be a photo booth a paw print painting station um, we'll also be raffling off a year supply of hills science diet so and also some other surprises as well but i'm very excited this is like my baby just showcasing the rescue to the community and trying to give back we're gonna have goodie bags to give out to people um it's gonna be fun and we have this lovely bottle of wine yes. sitting here. Do you want to talk about this, Mark? Sure. So we partnered with the local vineyard, Bordy Vineyards in Highs, Maryland. And they printed the labels for us. Uh, I sent them the logo. I sent Rachel. Uh, hey, Rachel. I sent Rachel <laughs> the picture of the logo. And uh, she was able to print it up, put it on the front of the bottle. 
who can say no to wine? Especially I absolutely wine. love wine. So I was very excited when uh, we got the partnership with them. So the bottles of wine will be available at the fundraiser for sale. So I'm very excited for everyone to see this. And thank you so much, Mark, for your help. And where can people find out more about the event, get tickets, where can so they find you? All the information is on my website, roundupapawspetrescue.com. We also have a Facebook page, Roundupapaws Pet Rescue. The tickets will be available on Eventbrite. Um, they start off at $25. Tickets include entrance and also a free t-shirt they'll be giving out. Um, there also is an option to get unlimited food and an option to get unlimited food and drinks as well. Oh, unlimited <laughs> food and drinks. Yes. Oh, I will have to take an Uber. <laughs> Mark, Jasmine, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else that you want to share before we sign off? I think we're all just excited to see what the future will bring for you guys. Yes, I'm very excited. I just want to say thank you so much for doing this for me and for us and for the, not even just for me, for the pets, because it's comes down to all just being about the pets. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. awesome are Jasmine and Mark. I am so excited for them. I'm so excited to see what the future will bring for a round of a pause rescue and for the people and pets of Baltimore. Baltimore takes a lot of flack and is definitely a city with a lot of problems. But if there's a bright spot in all of this, I really do think that it's our animal welfare community. There's so much good. There's so many people doing so many things that are good. If you haven't already listened to Annie's episode, which is episode six of the podcast, Annie started the Charm City Companions Organization, which goes door to door through Baltimore's underserved communities, talking to people about their pet needs and what they can do to help. And also listen to episode 19 with Caitlin, who created the Finding Knox organization to provide free microchipping for people in underserved communities. I really appreciated Jasmine and Mark highlighting for us that what they have seen in the Baltimore community is that many problems stem from a lack of information and a lack of resources, resources including money, but not a lack of care and concern for their pets. And I myself have spent the last 10 years volunteering and seeing that it doesn't matter what color someone's skin is, what zip code they live in, what language they speak, people from any and all walks of life all love their pets. If you're in the Baltimore area, I hope that you will join us at the Round of a Pause fundraising summer kickoff party on Saturday, July 17th. I'll make sure I put a link in the show notes for ticket information, which start at $25. I'll also put information for how you can get involved with volunteering or donating to Round of a Pause Pet Rescue. I also wanted to mention, if anybody is on the Clubhouse app, you can find me at Believe in Dog Pod. And I've been able to take part in some great conversations on this new platform for drop-in audio chats. There are tons of dog-loving people, especially a lot of dog training conversations going on, and it's been a lot of fun so far. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, on Instagram with underscores between each word. And if you enjoyed this podcast today, I appreciate you leaving a five-star rating or review on Apple iTunes. And you can also always share the podcast with some of your dog-loving friends. And if you don't have any other dog-loving friends, remember that we're your crazy dog people here. Until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Mm -hmm.